All right. My wife just taught through the book of Daniel, so she gave me her notes. I won't be using them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The, the cat's been out of the bag a long time ago. My wife's a way better Bible teacher than I am. So, all right, let's uh, let's let's pray again. Father, we thank you for Daniel and Lord God. As we open up this again, this book, Lord, of so many things, Father, that you you would speak to us, Lord God, that you bless us, Lord. And Father, we thank you for Daniel and his and his life that was just fully committed to you in every way, God. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse number eight says. Everybody turn that water, please. It says, but Daniel, I'm sorry, guys, give me a sec. Find the key. Last week was rough after a tri-tip. It was a meat sweat, and I got no excuse this week. It was, uh, I preached after eating pizza one time. That was a mistake. All right. All right, so Daniel, verse number 8, where we left off last week. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's delicacies, with, with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Cannot do it. I don't know. What's that? That's not it. It's just. All right, let's try again. All right. So, anyways, you you guys know the story. You know where I, where we are. Daniel and his three friends were taken into Babylonian captivity. Um, after 70 years, they were going to be there for 70 years of captivity. And God had prophesied and promised in the Word of God that this would happen. And Israel had seeped into all kinds of Babylonian idolatry. They were following the Baals, the Asherahs, and many of the terrible things that those, those people and those religions would do. They would take a, a god of uh, Molech, which was a, was a god that they would fashion with hands, and they would build a fire inside of it. It would make the hands molten red, and they would place their babies inside of the hands of this God for sacrifice, for um, prosperity and different things. And the Israelites, after they had entered the land of Israel, had begun to adopt some of these practices and were following pagan gods. And God had kept warning them. And so um, Daniel is contemporary with Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel. So somewhere within Daniel's life, those three writers were there and writing, and Daniel had privy to their writings. And so we find in Jeremiah multiple places where God has given... Um, the prediction that they would go into Babylonian captivity. And God had warned him and warned him again. They were in the land. They entered the land, as you know, as they left Egypt 400, or not 400, 40 years, in the, 40 years in the wilderness. They crossed the Jordan River. When they got to the other side, where is modern-day Israel today, on this side of the Jordan, the land was full of giants. It was full of Canaanites, Amalekites, Hivites, Tivites, Slashlites, and all the parasites and all the groups that were um, in the land. And God said to go and conquer the land. And in some of those groups, God said that they were to wipe them out, that they were to completely annihilate them. Some people have a problem biblically with God's call to completely annihilate the Canaanites, for example, in that it was genocide. And God said, kill the men, the women, the children, the dogs, the goldfish, everything. 
But what they, what they fail to recognize is that for, for 500 years as Israel was in Egyptian captivity, God was pouring his spirit out upon them, get, trying to get them to um, repent and to change. And they had become a cancer of, cancerous society unto themselves. And if you don't cut cancer out, it will just only grow. So Israel goes into the land. They're there for 490 years as they grow as a civilization, they grow as a people. And after 490 years of being in the land, God said that it's time that that now this, that they go into Babylonian captivity. Now, one of the things that one of the reasons why they were going to go into Babylonian captivity is because every seven years God would give them a year off. Now, who wouldn't want that? Every seven years, if I gave you a year off, and God said you'll make as much in the sixth year that will cover the seventh year. Bumper crops in the sixth year. It was a matter of faith. It was a matter of, of following. They got greedy. They lacked faith. And they never let the land rest. And they continued. And so God forgave them. And God forgave them. Seventy times. And so after seventy times, the, the time was up. Four hundred and ninety years of not letting the land rest. Com- combined with the idolatry. And the Babylonians show up. King Nebuchadnezzar, who is a prince at the time. His dad, Nebuchadnezzar, is the king in Babylon. And they... Um, they, they carry off in three different waves. And the, they t- went to the temple. They sacked the temple in Jerusalem. They took all of the golds, all the artifacts, all of the wonderful things. And, and, and they brought back the, the royalty, the royal family, the best of the best, these young men um, to be trained and re, um, what's the right word? reprogrammed in the Babylonian system. And they put them in the king's court. And Daniel and his three friends probably were royalty. We don't know for sure, but it's, some say that they were part of the king of Israel's children. Daniel would have been one of the sons. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael would have been the, the families of the kings and the royalty in Israel. They were brought back to Jerusalem. And, you know, when your kids are carried off, it was also a way to get your captives to, to behave the way they were supposed to behave. So there was problems. It didn't happen. Babylon goes back to Israel a second time. And then a third time. And the third time they completely destroyed it, destroyed the temple, um, sacked it, burned it with fire. And then we have, that's where Nehemiah comes in at the end of the 70 years of the Babylonian captivity where we read the stories of Nehemiah and Ezra and they go back and they begin to rebuild the Jewish temple, rebuild the wall, rebuild everything in Israel um, that was torn down and Israel goes back in. Now, do you remember when um, Peter said to the Lord, how many times should I forgive? And what did, what did Peter say? He thought he was being really bold and he was going to pick a number that was really going to impress Jesus. And what did Peter say? Seven times I I should forgive my brother when he sins against me. And Jesus said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Who's a mathematician? 70 times seven is 490. So God had already done it. When When Jesus told Peter 490 years, that was an example that he himself had already given Israel because for 490 years... He forgave them the trespass, and then they went into Babylonian captivity. When they get there, the reprogramming system starts. And Daniel is this young man of, of, of character. He stands out in the Bible as one of the, the greats in the Bible, one of the uniques, because no, no, no sin is mentioned of Daniel's life anywhere. So it doesn't mean he didn't sin. I mean, I, uh, Romans tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it's not mentioned. And it's interesting that only a couple people in all the Bible – of all the characters, of all the greats, does God not mention, or is there not some kind of mention of sin in their lives? Daniel was one. The other one, I think I mentioned it last week. You guys remember who it was? Joseph. 
And Joseph was another um, character in the Bible that had a pretty stellar history. But I don't know, even with Joseph, I don't know, maybe you could say when he went and started bragging to his family about the dreams that he had. But you don't, you don't find that. Even Isaiah, you know, says, woe is me, I am undone, and, and this weakness and sin in his life. But no record, record of that in Daniel's life. Now, um, verse number eight is, but Daniel. What we're going to get today in chapter two, we're going to come to a but God in the Bible. And I'll tell you, there's 31 times in the Bible it uses this phrase. We'll get to that when we get there. But it's, it's an important concept in the Bible, but God, but God. We were struggling, but God, but God. We'll get, we'll get to it in a minute. But, but Daniel, and so we, he's not quite but God, but we have this but Daniel purposed in his heart. And I think that as a believer in Christ, that um, it's important for us to purpose in our heart. It's important for you to make a decision to walk with the Lord, not to sin. Whatever you struggle with, what you're going through, or what you want to commit to the Lord, that you, you purpose in your heart. I think it can be a solution for some of our sin, for some of our struggle, for some of the, the things in life that, that we struggle with. If you can get to that point, because I, I know for me, if there's something in my life that, that I'm struggling with, there's something in my life that I, I have a hard time with, I, I, I can't really make a commitment. God, I'll never do that again. God, I'm going to get right in this area. Like there's this intrepidation in me because I know myself. And I'm afraid, and I, and I want to vow a vow and not keep it. The Bible says it's better to not vow a vow than vow a vow and break it. And so, but to be able to purpose in your heart, Lord, I want this. Lord, I'm going to do this. Lord, I don't want this, you know. And the other cool thing about Daniel in this situation is that, that I think God supernaturally implanted in Daniel's heart the ability to purpose in his heart. Because we're going to see where, where God is and the Holy Spirit is instrumental in this whole thing. They're going to eat only vegetables and drink only water for 10 days and get fatter. Like, that don't work, you guys. Any of you guys want to try it? Vegetables and water for 10 days? I guarantee you when I see you in 10 days, you're not going to be fatter. And so it was, it was a work of the Holy Spirit that was preserving and was doing something. And, and so God does that and needs to do that as we purpose in our hearts. But just having that, that commitment to Jesus that we, we purpose in our hearts. I shared with you guys last week a little bit of, of my testimony. And again, it was supernatural because the Holy Spirit was calling me out of something, out of a stage of life, out of a, a liberty in life that I felt I had liberty for, that, that God was telling me he wanted me just for me. And I would never try to push it on or, or make it that it's Bible or bond because God spoke it to my heart, but it was something for me that God spoke to me about. And it was through this verse God that Daniel purposed in his heart. And as, as I read that and as we were praying and spending time that Saturday afternoon, Lydia and I, and um, this little tiny one-bedroom uh, house that we lived in next to a pool. It was a mother-in-law house, and we rented it, and um, had this really nice pool with a slide, but we lived in it from like September to June, so all through the whole spring and winter, never one time got to get in this nice pool. And we, it came like, what, November, I think, or December, and we started, they had this little heater in the wall. And it was like a like a pump in an old hotel room or something. And it was the only uh, climate control in this little mother-in-law suite that Lydia and I were renting when we first got married. You know, we really shouldn't have been living there, but her dad wouldn't pay me enough money to actually afford anything that was um, was working for her dad at the time. And uh, I think we paid, what, like 250 bucks a month or something. And so our first really cold month, we we heated this, we, we ran that heater all the time. And we got our first electric bill, and it was like $400. And 
That was like twice as, almost twice as much as our rent, like way more money than we had. And I think Lydia's complete, first complete meltdown <laughs> over a bill and $400, we don't have $400, we don't afford it. We're going to have to, you know, whatever, you know, but, um, but God was faithful. I don't remember how that bill actually got paid, but <laughs> it, uh, it did get paid and we learned we couldn't run. This is a true story. We couldn't run that heater anymore. So we just, it was just too expensive. So we made it through that whole winter with no heat in the house. And we're in the high desert, so it's not like Alaska, but it was cold. It's cold in the winter. It was cold for us being from California. So whatever's cold to anybody else, it's still cold to us, but. So we would put extra blankets on the bed. I would sleep with a beanie on my head. In the morning when you got up, you could see your breath in our bedroom. And so as long, but as soon as you just you get out of bed and you run to the shower and you take a hot shower, then when you get out and get dressed, you could, you could manage. But you just had to get from the bed to the shower in the morning. And uh, we made it through our first winter that way. But it was in that house, all that just to tell you, it was in that house that God spoke to me with this verse and it, that, to, that I was to purpose in my heart as a young pastor to make decisions to, that God would honor, and God would honor those decisions as we went on. And so Daniel's going to make this decision, and God is, on, on, is going to honor it. Now, I'm going to spend a lot of time on verse 8, you guys, and I'm going to jam through the rest until we get to chapter 2, because the meat right here for this chapter is verse number 8, so you can read it again as I'm talking about it. But again, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now, a couple examples. Um, one of my favorite is in, in 2 Samuel. There's a list of David's mighty men. Now I love these guys in the in the gospel of gospel of in the book of Samuel, and, and because they did amazing things, um, Samson-esque things. You know, Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. You know, and you 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 flesh that out, and it's really unbelievable. It's hard to believe it physically happened, but you don't doubt it because it's in the Word of God. It's it's truth. It's history. It's not a story to teach you something. It actually happened. But, you know, you think of the fight that it would have took and the amount of time for this battle to take place when, when Solomon does this. But you have all of these stories that are very Solomon-esque. There's one guy in there. His name is Shama, And David told him to guard a field of, of lentils, of beans, that, that they were growing beans for, the, for their men. You know, David and his 600 men that were, that were around him when he was running from Saul and, and fleeing before he was king. And so these men that were disgruntled and in debt and... Um, um, in bad shape that, that God had put around David, and David was discipling them and raising them up. And, and, and then the story of how they become these amazing, mighty men of valor, the Bible calls them. Well, this one guy, Shama, David tells him to defend the beatings, and the Philistines show up, and they're ready to attack him and fight. And, and, and all, the, all the other men around him, they run. And he's left there, and he's like, well, David told me to watch the beans. I'm not going anywhere. And in a whole garrison, or it doesn't say how many, it just says in this particular case that the Philistines came down and he stayed there and he defended and killed all the Philistines and defended the lentils. And again, that's purposing in the heart, that he just purposed in the heart that, you know, the king told me to stay and watch the beans and I'm not going anywhere. And we think of um, um, Joseph. Do you remember Joseph and Pharaoh's wife Potiphar? Pharaoh's wife Potiphar? I'm sorry. Potiphar's wife, does she have a name? She's not named. Potiphar's wife. And Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar was away on a trip. And um, I guess the, the Egyptian um, dress that Joseph would have wore was like a skirt or a towel, basically, that was what he would wear every day. And she grabbed it and she ripped, him, ripped it off of him. And she told him, lie with me. 
and he ran away naked. And, and he said, how can, how can I do such a thing to my God? How can I do this against Potiphar and, and against who's been good to me and, and against my Lord? And, and Joseph purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to, you know, go there, that he wasn't going to commit that. And again, you have young men in, in both of these cases, Joseph uh, away in Egypt as a slave, Daniel away in Babylon as a slave who demonstrate amazing character. I was thinking about this today and I was thinking, you know, what if what if somebody showed up and, and captured my three teenagers and took them away to Babylon? <laughs> would would they be would they be Daniels? Would they you know, I was like I almost wanted to call them in and say, Hey guys, look if if this happens like like and I'm like if I haven't prepared them already it's too late. Like they, they gotta have it. But you know, this, this character that these young men had, that when they were carried away, that God um, was able to use them in such a way, and that Daniel was, was such a mighty man, you know. And I'd like to think that, you know, if you dig into the character of God, because Satan tells us that, you know, we're missing out on the things of the world and the things that your kids, and he's going to tell your kids what he lies to your kids. Do you know that the beer commercials that, that you see between the games that we watch, the Super Bowl, football games, baseball games, and I'm a big sports guy. I love sports. I watch a lot of sports. If my TV's on with anything, it's usually a game. That's kind of the only thing I really watch on TV. Besides, I'm watching a series on Netflix right now called uh, Heartland. Oh, my gosh. It's driving me crazy. Four. Oh, my. Yeah, but. All right. That, that was a rabbit trail. That was a bad rabbit trail. Forget that stupid show. Um. But the beer commercials are designed and written for, guess what, 12 years old to like 18 years old or 16 year old, 18, something like that. And the reason why they design them for that demographic is because I guess they figure that by the time you're 21, you've already decided what kind of beer you're going to drink. And so they're, they're targeting a younger audience. And so um, across the board, you know, Satan is doing this is targeting our young, our young people in so many ways and it's ramping up as as we get closer to the return of Jesus Christ the things that are happening today it's kind of scary you know and I want I want to be careful like I don't want to scare anybody it's never my point and, and hopefully you guys know um, about me that you know I, I really believe that some of these things that are going to take place in prophecy that we see happening that are going to be really bad that are the, the like the vaccine for example I'm kind of a Conehead when it comes to the vaccine right now, but um, the the things that will transpire they'll happen after the rapture. They are a setup. Things that we're seeing are being set up without a doubt, not not even controversial, just across the board. We're being set up for the rule of antichrist, the armies of antichrist, the rule of antichrist that is coming without a doubt. And whether it comes tomorrow or in 20 years or 30 years, because we don't know the day or the hour, it is coming. It will come. That's why we have the book of Daniel. That's why we're studying this important. That's why we're studying the book of Daniel and we're studying prophecy that we're going to that we're going to get into. Um, if I'll ever get to the next verse, we'll get to some prophecy. But but the, so much of the prophecies of Daniel are already fulfilled. And why is that important? And why as we study the Bible and we study specifically the area of prophecy is it so important? Because when we see these prophecies that were given 100 years, 200 years, 500 years, 1,000 years before they took place, and they all came to pass exactly the way the Bible said they were going to come to pass, it gives us, gives us confidence as Christians knowing that the prophecies that are yet future, the return of Jesus, the reign of Antichrist, all these things, um, Damascus, Isaiah 17.1 is a, is a very easy 
to follow prophecy that we've had our eyes on for years and years and years, that Damascus, Syria, as it stands today, will be destroyed, the Bible predicts. Okay? If it never happens, then the Bible's not true. It has to happen. It's going to happen. But it gives us confidence seeing that all the things that have, have come to pass and were fulfilled, knowing that the things that yet future are coming to fulfill. So, so the rule of Antichrist is absolutely coming. You know, but, but we won't be here for it. Uh, Lydia had some uh, friends of hers that were not really sure where their belief systems were, but they had come to church, had visited, and it was the week we were doing the prophecy update. And so a little bit later I asked Lydia, I said, where are your friends? Are they coming back? Are they? He's like, no, your prophecy update freaked them out. <laughs> I was like, it's not supposed to do that. Like, I, I, it's, it's supposed to be exactly the opposite, you know. And, and, and I thought interesting to non-believers especially, because it, but um, it's not supposed to scare us. You know, it's not supposed to, and, and really, it, Jesus, when he comes back, is going to, the Bible says that you are not appointed to wrath. Um, I don't know if it's good news or not, but we are going to start, it is good news. And it goes with Daniel too, but we're going to start on Sunday mornings. I'm going to finish the New Testament on Sunday, and then I think we'll do a couple uh, uh, small series in the Old Testament on Sunday mornings, because I rarely teach the Old Testament on Sunday mornings, and then we're going to start a study in the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings. So... I hate to do it right away because it'll be another 26 books before I can do it again, but um, but we're going to do it. We're going to jump into Revelation because it's going to go with Daniel. All right. So um, as Daniel purposed in his heart, and then it says um, that he would not defile himself. Verse nine. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king. And it's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute tyrant. He had a bad temper. He was a off-with-the-head type of dictator. Um, and and it, was, it was wise to fear Nebuchadnezzar. Now, in the prophecy we're going to see in a minute is going to be this, this statue. This kind of a picture. This could be two things. There's two statues in the next two chapters. There's a statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And then right after that, he builds a statue of all gold that everybody has to bow down to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow down to it. That's why they get thrown into the fiery furnace, and that's how we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But this this prophecy is a, that we'll get into. There's a good picture of it: head of gold, arms and and, and midsection of, of silver, uh, thighs and legs of brass, um, and then the feet of iron and clay. Legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. Successive kingdoms that are coming. Now Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute dictator. And, and he, anything he said was bond, it was law, what he spoke was the word. When we get to the next succeeding empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, that's going to take over, the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, um, when, Daniel gets thrown, remember when Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, the king does not, Darius, he likes Daniel, he's friends with Daniel, and these guys trick him into making a law, but once it became Medo-Persian law, the king was, was, was then second to the Medo-Persian law. The Medo-Persian law um, superseded the, the, the rule of the king, so he was stuck. He made this decree, it was signed into law, and then he wanted to go back on it because he found that, that Daniel was the one that was going to be thrown in the lion's den. He loved Daniel, he was friends with Daniel, and, but he couldn't change it. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is a different kind of king. He's the head of gold, and, and, and he's stronger, and he's a, a complete um, dictator and power in the uh, Babylonian Empire. So it was wise to be afraid of him. And then in verse 10 it says, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, why is he appointed food and drink? For why should your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would, in, you would in, 
endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He used their Hebrew names there. Please test your servants for 10 days and let them give you vegetables to eat and water to drink and let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies and see fit. So deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this manner and tested them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, all their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portions of the king's delicacies. So all of their features, and then we're going to see in a minute, ten times. Um, Thus the steward took away their portions of delicacies and the wine which they were to drink and gave them all vegetables, basically. They all went on um, the Daniel diet. So um, I think you're going to see here, I'll, I'll point out in a second, we're going to see that this was supernatural, I believe, in that the Holy Spirit was... Um, blessing their their decisions and and their things, but what a what a, again what a compliment to Daniel, I mean you know, 15 years old, 14, 15 years old at this point, it's going to be a three year training that that that, that Nebuchadnezzar is going to put them through, and Daniel at 14 or 15 years old, he he's able to say no to the wine, to the lobster, to the steak. I mean this was the king's wine, this was the king's delicacies. So even if the, the house was eating pork, I mean, what the king was eating was the top, was the best, was everything was the finest. And Daniel said, no, we only want vegetables. And not only that, did he turn it down for this, this test, but then he would have continued to live that way for his life. We'll see later in one of the chapters where Daniel eats um, for 21 days as he fasts on, on vegetables, fruits and vegetables only. In verse 17, it says, and for three years, oh, excuse me, and for these four young men, God gave them, who gave them? Knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So who gave them the wisdom, the knowledge? Bible college? Yale? What university? I guess Babylonian university, because technically they were in a three-year university where they would have been studying and learning, but it says that God gave them. You know, here, here's the bottom line. I, and, and education is wonderful. I'm not saying anything against education. I think I would highly recommend, you know, anybody in biblical studies and theological studies and in pursuing ministry um, to, to pursue Bible studies, Bible college, Bible university. Those things are always wonderful. But ultimately... That's not how ministry is born. That's not how God qualifies or, or calls. God, God qualifies the called. And um, so many people in the Bible, you think of the, you look at the 12 disciples that Jesus called. I mean, Peter was a fisherman with really no education. And, you know, sailors have the, you know, reputation of just being foul-mouthed. And, and, and I'm sure Peter was no different when God called him. And he wasn't educated. But yet, he was used mightily of God, wrote books of the Bible. Paul was educated, on the other hand. The Apostle Paul was very educated. He was the top of his class. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was highly educated, and God used him in a mighty way. But it's God who gives the education. I remember Pastor Chuck telling a story of there was an older woman in his church that was um, had no education, no biblical studies, and Chuck was pouring into the Greek and studying the grammar and all this stuff, and he came up with this this nugget in the scriptures in Ephesians. And he was like so excited that he took all these hours and spent all this time studying when, and pulling out this little nugget. And he said this dear woman in his church, she came up and she said, Chuck, she said, 
I was praying and I was reading in Ephesians and God showed me this. And it was exactly what God showed him in the verse. And he's like, I guess I didn't need to, you know, God can do it, right? Like that we don't necessarily need all of these. And they're, not that they're bad, but God gives that. And so I just encourage us that as you seek the Lord, God will prepare you, will fulfill you. And so then it says, um, then the king, is that where we're at? 18. Now at the end of days, when the king had said that they should be brought in the brought in the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before nebuchadnezzar then the king interviewed them and among them all none was found like who daniel hananiah mishael and azariah therefore they served before the king and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them he found them to be i love this 10 times how how are you 10 times better how do you even how do you even quantify that but they were that much better. They shined that much above the rest because of the blessing of God, because of the, the power of God's Holy Spirit. You know, the same is true in, in, you know, so many worship sets, you know. So many people maybe are not the greatest musicians, but the, the feel that you receive in a worship set because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's working through the musicians as they, as they lead us in worship. And so that same thing as, you know, in teaching and all these things as as God gave them, and ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in the realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel's going to end up in Babylon through multiple successive um, kings. One, one change here that Daniel will live through. He'll live through the Medo-Persian um, conquering of Nebuchadnezzar and of Babylon. And uh, he'll serve under King Darius. And, and he'll be there all the way till the end. Daniel probably spent, Daniel probably died in Babylon, probably spent um, 70 plus years. When he is put in the lion's den, he's, he's an old man by then in his 70s or 80s by that point. Now, um, I don't want to finish all of chapter 2. Actually, this um, slide that you see behind me is a prophecy that, a fulfillment of the prophecy we're going to see here, but I'm not going to get into the, the breakdown in the second half of this till next week. We'll catch that next week. We're just going to kind of go through the backstory um, right now. So um, it says in, in verse one, chapter two. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Now a lot of people say this was three years later. They had just trained. So the first year of a king's reign was an inaugural real year, not counted. So it's either. It makes sense that it would have been, Daniel would have been then about 18, 19 years old. If he came at 14, 15, they spent the three years. It was in the third year of, of the king's reign. They would have finished that three-year training program that um, Nebuchadnezzar had set out for him. <clears throat> and so and it says, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled that his, slept, his sleep left him. And so it wasn't just a, a, a pizza dream or just a meatball dream where, you know, something weird, you wake up in the morning, you had this weird dream. It says that he slept, his sleep left him and that his spirit was troubled. And so he knew there was something more to this dream. And then the king gave the commandments. He called the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. Now, um, this, this list here of astrologers, sorcerers, Chaldeans, um, you know, ba Babylon was a very complex city and, and lots of idolatry as well. In Babylon, um, Israel was force-fed idolatry while they were in Babylon. The, the, the amazing thing is that for, for however God worked, um, this did cure 
the, idolat the idolatry and the behavior that Israel had demonstrated for 490 years because as you follow their history post-Babylonian captivity, they don't struggle with the idolatry like they did prior. So it works, whatever it was. But this, this, four, this group of four lists of these guys. Now, one of the cool things is that, you remember the wise men that come and see Jesus? The wise men from the east? They, they would have been a part of this group. So it wasn't all bad. Um, and, and a lot of people believe that, that the writings that they were studying were things that Daniel had written while he was in Babylon. And the wise men were studying these things, studying these writings of Daniel and something that we don't necessarily have canonized. And so how did the wise men get to find Jesus? Well, they would have come from Babylon. We know they came from the east. They would have come from this, this group. And they had different functions. But they were none of them served the living God. Right? And so, and uh, I'd like to talk in a minute a little bit more about just them and, and our warning against this kind of idea. But it says in verse three, it says, and the king said to them, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the, know the dream. This is a um, dream slash vision. You know, it's, it's more that it's spiritual, that God had given it to him, had given him the vision, and it wasn't just a dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. Now there's a language change. I told you guys last week, for most of us, these, these little minor details about Daniel, they don't really matter. I don't know how we use them in our Christian living, but they're, they're important as we study the word of God. But Daniel is written in um, three different languages. And, and, and so here's one of the language changes. So chapter uh, two, verse four, we change from Hebrew to Aramaic. And, and part of the reason why this prophecy was written originally in Aramaic was because it was given to the entire world, and that would have been a language that most people would have understood and spoke and written uh, and read. And so God had recorded this originally, and Daniel wrote this in Aramaic. It would have traveled in, in a lot of places, a lot of the known world. And so we have a, a language change in verse 4 um, in the original. And then the Chal Chaldeans spoke in Aramaic, and they said, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your house shall be made of ash heap. However, if you tell me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards of great honor, and therefore tell me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and then we will give you the interpretation. And the king answered and said, No way, suckers, I ain't stupid. He said, the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time. The original here says to buy time in the Aramaic. In the, and so we get, that's maybe where we get our expression to buy time. So they were trying to, he said, I know you guys are just trying to buy time. And if you, and, and also, how do I know? He was smart, right? How do I know that the interpretation is authentic? I'll tell you what the dream is, and then you'll just go make something up. The only way that I will know that it's, it is the, the real interpretation of what the dream means is if you can tell me what I dreamt and its interpretation. So this is pretty hardcore, right? And then it says, um, verse 9, If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me, until time has changed, therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth. Whoa, hold on. Daniel. 
who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other one, no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. Oh, I love it. Whose God is dwellings is not with flesh. Well, he will become flesh and dwell among us, but... Um, God is the one who knows your future. Only the Lord. I, I've, I've taught this a million times, and so I won't belabor it because I'm sure you guys have heard it, but in this list of astrologers, soothsayers, magicians, these types of things, these are worldly things that sometimes we see. You know, tarot cards, palm reading, um, anything. I don't care whether I include it or exclude it, remember it or forget it, that anything outside of the will of God, you know, I don't flirt with any of that stuff. I don't read it. I just stay away from it. You know, I don't even do it to where, you know, some people are like, yeah, I don't believe in it, you know, but it's innocent, you know, because it's just, it's not spiritual. But the astrology that tells your, your future, the tarot cards that, you know, all those things that, that God strictly forbids us as believers because it's a slap in his face. Here he is, the God of heaven who loves you, the only one who knows the future, and he wants nothing more than to tell you your future. He wants nothing more than to encourage you in where to go and how to lead you. And when you, you, know, you ignore the God whose hands are out to you saying, I love you, I want to take care of you, I want to show you, I want to give you these things, and we, we start to go to the things of the world to find these answers, it's, it, again, it's offensive, just, just as with your kids, if they won't come to you for, for answers that you want to give them and direction that you want to lead them in and help them, and, and they're going to other places and talking to friends and, you know, people that you you know are giving them bad advice and these kind of things it's it's offensive and so god strictly forbids it and and you know there's a power in it too because i know i I know certain people that have experienced it and and they they've had something happen where where somebody um told them their future and they're like oh this is going to happen or this is the thing well it's all a sham nebuchadnezzar understands that he knows that everything that these guys does everything these guys does (laughs) Everything that these guys do is phony. And, and, and so in his wisdom, he says, if you're legit, you'll be able to tell me the dream and its interpretation. So you go to some, you know, palm reader. Now, a low-level palm reader, they, they basically are just very, very versed in phrases that are general, that would fit a, a group of people. And so they can say things, oh, you're going to have a crossroads in the future. And somewhere in this crossroads, there's going to be a sailboat. And, you know, like there's something that, that just, oh, okay, great. I'm going to hit a crossroads in the future. And, and then, but at a higher level where, where you're with a spiritist or a medium or somebody who really is channeling some kind of demonic spirit, this part of the deception they use is, listen, Satan doesn't know the future. He doesn't know when Jesus is coming back. So he's always had probably for a thousand years antichrist types in the in the world ready so that when jesus does come back he can answer him and raise up antichrist because he doesn't know so there's always been antichrist candidates you know we as christians we like to figure out who's the antichrist it's always every u.s president right it's been since reagan the u.s president's in the antichrist it's not going to be a u.s president but the stupid thing about that anyways as christians we don't need to mess with that because satan doesn't even know how are we going to know? It's not like there's one guy in history. No, there is as we look back, but really Satan, even today, probably has 12, 15 different people on planet Earth that he's raising up that he can use. You know, I'd imagine that 
And it's a game changer once Satan enters them anyways. That'll be the power in lying wonders. And so, but anyways, what Satan is able to do is he knows the past, not the future. So with a spiritist or a medium or somebody that's using these things, what they'll do is they'll maybe channel something that they can find out about you, but it's always about your past. And they'll tell you something that will rock your world. Oh my gosh, how did you know that? Nobody's ever known that. I never told anybody. And it could be true. And then they just make up what the future prediction is. Because once you believe they know something about you that nobody else knows, you believe that they have this power that they don't possess. Because as they channel these mediums and these spirits and the spirits tell them something, they'll only tell them something in your past and then they make up again something in your future. They can't tell your future. They, they don't know. Satan doesn't know. They have no way of knowing that. Only the God in heaven knows these things. Amen? All right, we're almost done, you guys. In verse, um, let's go 12. It says, For this reason the king was angry and furious and gave the command, Off with the head, destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Now, Daniel would have been considered in Babylon a part of this group. But as we know, he would have had nothing to do with any of the practices of these people. He set himself apart, you know. We're in the world, but not of the world. And it says, then with counsel and wisdom. Now that'll preach right there. Daniel answered Arioch the captain. Now how did Daniel answer him? With counsel and wisdom. Right? Underline that. With counsel and wisdom. You know, I learned something about faith. I, I think it's pretty cool. I think it's kind of like, for me anyways, was revolutionary on the idea of, of walking in faith and stepping out in faith. And, and, and what, I, what I found was that, you know, I was here and planning this church and doing some things and making some decisions and wanting to have my own faith stories and wanting to step out in faith in my walk with Jesus. But what I realized was that, that walking in faith and stepping out in faith is never not knowing the will of God. It's not, I don't know what God wants. I just want to step out in faith. I'm not really sure and if I'm really a Christ follower and I want to, I want to step out in faith and, and, and do what God wants me to do and be bold that I just, you know, I don't have wisdom. I don't have counsel. And I just, I just go for it with Jesus. You know, I just be willing to walk in faith. That's not faith. That's not the faith that the Bible, that the Bible requires, that God requires, or that's demonstrated anywhere in the Bible. And what you'll find, and maybe if I've missed one, please point it out to me. But find a place from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible where somebody's asked to, to step out in faith before they know the will of God. God gives you his will. You know the will of God. And then it's still hard to step out in faith. It doesn't make it any easier. The step of faith is still difficult. God came to Abraham, the son of a, of a, of a pagan priest, and told him to go. He didn't tell him where to go. He said, go. And so Abraham went. But he knew the will of God. The will of God was to go, was to pack and leave that place. And he went. And, and, and again, I, I don't have, again, any example. And so here we, we see these things that Daniel's doing. And he's about to go to the king and say, God is going to give you this interpretation. And I don't want you to stop killing these people. I'll give you the interpretation of your dream. But again, it's not, Daniel does step out in faith. And he does something that's bold. Because King Nebuchadnezzar, again, right, was this tyrant who was, the off-with-your-head type, and he had already started killing Daniel's friends. And I think Daniel cared for these guys. I don't think he was definitely not a part of them, right? We know that Daniel set himself apart. He purposed in his heart. He was ten times better than the rest. But he, was, he, he would have been in fellowship with his group to some degree. And I imagine 
that even though he totally disagreed with them on, on, on all of the philosophy and all of the, the, the truths of life and, and, and their, who they were and their biblical perspective, their worldviews, but yet Daniel, I'm sure he still cared about these guys. I'm sure he still loved them as people. You know, and then we as Christians understand that. You, know, you, can, you can disagree with somebody's worldview and love them as a person. And so Daniel's going to go in, but um, as he, he steps out in faith, it's not without wisdom and counsel. It's not without knowing the will of God. And so you be a person of, of boldness and step out in faith in Jesus and take chances, but don't feel like you have to do it willy-nilly or without the first knowing the will of God. Amen? And it says, with counsel and wisdom, verse 14 Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill these wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said to Arioch, the king, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. And Daniel went and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. And then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Again, their names mentioned in the Hebrew. Um, Daniel, probably 19 years old here that they might seek mercies from God. So how does Daniel handle this problem? He goes to his friends, and they begin to pray. And they begin to seek God, right? In all of our situations, we want to seek God. We want to seek God. We want to seek God. And so he begins to seek the Lord. They begin to pray. From God, the heaven concerning the secret, so Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men. There was a little uh, personal gain in all of this. Daniel's head was going to be cut off as well. And it even says here, so that they would not perish with the rest of the wise men. And then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So how was the secret revealed to him? A night vision. What's a night vision? Is that the same thing as a dream? I think it's a little different. You know, I've, I, I wish I could say that God has spoken to me in visions, it says in Joel and repeated in Acts chapter 2 that your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Um, I, I have had, I think I've had one legit vision from God, very short, and it was, it was unique. In a spiritual experience, I knew it wasn't just, a, a, again, a piece of dream or just some dream, that it was, um, it felt like a dream, but I knew it was a vision. I knew God had showed me something um, in a vision. And so here we have this, and again, because God makes a, a separation between dreams and visions. He makes a separation again. It's in Joel as the prophecy is given. It's repeated in Acts chapter 2. And so I know I'm splitting hairs a little bit here, but definitely a vision and a dream. Can God speak through dreams? Now, this is one of the things as a pastor I get all the time. I've had it happen recently here standing out in the coffee shop. And somebody says, hey, I had this dream. What do you think? Or what's the interpretation? Or what do you think it means biblically? And there was a frog. And this is not the dream, but I'm making this up, right? And he jumped on the counter, and then he looked at me, and he winked one eye, and he put his tongue out of his right side. And what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know if it means you had too much pizza before you went to sleep. I don't know. God has never spoken to me personally through a dream. Like I said, I've had one experience where, where God has spoken to me in a vision. But I don't know. So I, I want to be careful because I'm biased a certain way because God's never spoken to me in a dream. And I believe that the Bible says... You know, again, you could take Acts in the ch early church. God does say in the word he'll speak to you through dreams and visions. So I know it's possible. Um, I've just never experienced it. But here's what I do know. That, that the Bible says in these last days that God has spoken through his word. 
Hebrews chapter 1, that God has spoken through his son. And the number one way that God is going to speak to you is through the word of God. You want to hear the voice of God? You will not or you cannot be as successful in hearing the word of God if you're not listening with an open Bible. Have your Bible open. Be ready to listen. And God will speak to you. If God speaks to you through a dream, I don't believe that it will be confusing and you'll need to come in here on Sunday morning and and ask me for an interpretation or that you'll be confused in what it means. I think, if, I think God can and will. It could be rare. I haven't experienced it personally, but I do believe others can and will. Um, but I don't think it'll be confusing. I don't think God's a God of confusion. And so here Daniel receives a vision, and it says that he... Um, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and then he knows it, right? So it's revealed, and it wasn't confusing, and he understood. And now you'll see this change in Daniel as he's going to enter into the presence of the king, he's going to go in um, with confidence. Do not destroy, the, look at verse 24, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king and I will tell the king the interpretation. He, he has a confidence now knowing this. He started in verse 14 with counsel and wisdom. He sought the Lord. He got his friends together. They prayed. God revealed something supernatural to him in a night vision. And, and, and he comes and he has this new confidence. And first he blesses the Lord. Always important. You know what's fascinating about verses 20 through 23 and him blessing the Lord? Daniel's quoting over 10 different Bible passages from Jeremiah, Isaiah, Job, and the Psalms. And it's not like they were going and looking these things up and then writing this. This is coming out of his heart. There's only one way that happens. is is that Daniel was a student of the Word. He knew the Word of God. You see other Bible writers, Paul was able to do that. And he didn't go back and look it up and to write it. He, and even in some places, you'll see it where it's a word or two is, is, is quoted differently. You think, oh, that's a problem. No, the guy was just writing out of his heart and, and, and it was being recorded. And so he missed a word or two as he was quoting this Old Testament verse but but the men that god uses we we find that they're men of the word they're men of prayer and here we have a great example of daniel being a man of the word a man of prayer we had in the last chapter verse 8 we just finished daniel was a man of character and so men of character men of the word men of prayer they weren't always that way peter wasn't always that way peter became a man of the word let's let's read the blessing it says and then we'll be done um it says daniel answered and said Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he raises up kings. We know that to be true of the Bible. One of the reasons why you never have to worry about who's in the White House is because you can know that God has appointed them. That God has chosen, God has opened and closed doors. And and if he's put a certain person in there for a season, there's a reason. And we just don't have to worry. And we're not, the Savior is not going to come from the White House, right? Trump was, was, was a nice reprieve, but we, we're not looking for a President Trump. We're looking for a trumpet call of God that's going to announce the, the rapture when, when the trumpet is sounded and we go up to meet the Lord in the air. But God raises up kings and removes them. Nebuchadnezzar is going to go through, remember this verse when we get to like chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is going to go through this point where He's going to believe because of his power and because he's this head of gold and because of his, his dominance that he's done all these things. You know, I, I shared with you guys last week, the best I could, that Babylon was one of the most um, beautiful, impressive, accomplished cities in all the known world. 
his wife, um, King Nebuchadnezzar's wife, came from the mountains, and Babylon was in the deserts. And so he, she wanted mountains, and she hated the, the deserts. And so he built her the hanging gardens, 35 stories high of gardens that, that were built as a mountain to look like a mountain were these hanging gardens that he built to, to please his wife and the size of the city. And so Nebuchadnezzar is going to get full in his heart that he did all of this. And then he's going to be turned out and he's going to, the nails are going to grow and he's going to turn into an animal and he's going to literally eat the grass like a cow grazes completely whacked out of his mind because God is going to humble him and show him that you didn't do this. I raise you up and I, I, I'm the one who raises up uh, kings and removes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. Is God going to reveal? Did God just reveal a deep and secret thing to Daniel? He did, right? I mean, how many of you guys, you have a dream and you come to somebody and you say, hey, I want, I want you to tell me the interpretation of the dream and what I dreamed. And Daniel was able to do that as God revealed that. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. The Bible says that what we do in the darkness, God, God brings to the light. And that there, you know, for God, for God, it's always light. You know, we think sometimes, you know what, you know, in a bar, right? If you're in a bar at two, three in the morning and the bar owner wants everybody to get home, you know how they get everybody out of the bar? They turn on all the lights. True, everybody bounces. It works, you know, because you, you think in the dark you're getting away with something. As soon as all the lights come on, you want to go home, you know. And, but it doesn't matter. God sees what we do in the darkness and in the light. He knows what is in the darkness. The light dwells within him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. You have made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Amen? All right, we're going to pick up in verse 24 last week. Look at verse number 28 before you close your Bible, though, real quick. Verse 28, and then I am done. But there is a God in heaven. Say it with me. But there is a God in heaven. Okay, that's what you got to look forward to next week. We'll get into this prophecy behind me. Read ahead, and uh, I'll see you guys next Wednesday. Ladies, Friday night. Let's pray.